Hi everyone, this is Mahek and I'm back again for another episode of Policy Wise. This episode is going to be a little bit different because it's going to take on um, a more solo style. Traditionally, our, our episodes um, have been more discussion style, especially my own. So this is the first time that it's going to be just me running a solo episode, which is very exciting. I'm hoping that this is going to be more of an informative one. I'm going to be talking about a topic of great importance to me that has come up in my career before, actually, during my time at California Forward, a Young Leaders Advisory Committee, that you can learn a little bit more about in some of our past episodes and previous seasons if you're interested. That topic is education in the prison system. So what I'm going to be doing is doing a little bit of a, a run through what our education system looks like for incarcerated individuals, starting from K through 12, then moving forward to undergraduate programs. I'm going to talk a little bit about recidivism and how education impacts that. And then I'm going to end with just a series of takeaways, what I'm hoping you will leave with after listening to this episode. So let's get started. Let's begin with the juvenile prison system and schooling within that. So let's start with a piece of legislation from 2018 signed by Governor Jerry Brown. The youngest age to go to juvenile hall in California is 12 years old. So from ages 12 to 18, we have individuals in, in some state of incarceration. This is a time in which a lot of critical schooling happens. And so what is in place right now is a series of juvenile court schools. They provide educational programs that meet the needs of students who've been placed in juvenile halls, juvenile homes, and, and other various facilities. You can learn a little bit more about some of the advocacy occurring in terms of uh, addressing issues within these schools, because it is definitely not a perfect system. But it's important to, to address the fact that there is a juvenile court system of schooling in place. And also to recognize the fact that 12 is an incredibly young age and that 12 to 18 is a key time in which an individual will learn about the world. And a high school diploma or equivalent is a huge necessity for entry-level jobs across sectors. So it's not even just about the schooling itself, but the certification and the fact that without it, there, there are few economic opportunities available to individuals, which is why we see the recidivism rate that we do, which transitions us into the topic of recidivism. So recidivism is the rate at which an incarcerated individual returns to prison. The Bureau of Justice Statistics found that there was, uh, as we expected, a high rate of recidivism amongst released prisoners. One study tracked around 400,000 prisoners in 30 states after their release from prison and found that about two-thirds of them, around 68%, were rearrested within three years of release and around 76% were rearrested within five years. More than half of these arrests were in the first year after release, actually. However, there is a 43% reduction in recidivism rates for prisoners who participated in prison education programs. The higher the degree, the lower the recidivism rate is. And the rate is 14% for those who obtain an associate's degree, 6% for those with a bachelor's degree, and zero for those with a master's degree. So we see here the data shows that education programs work. They contribute to giving formerly incarcerated individuals the opportunities they need in order to succeed and not end up back in the system. So what are some examples of these? Well, we have the Prison Education Program in UCLA, which we will also share in links once this episode is released. We have one in CSULA. We have one in Northwestern and in Georgetown, Loyola University, Chicago. So various universities across the country. And we're, we're seeing that same trend of data in all of those places. But I do want to point out that there was a, a act of legislation 
that can be credited to this during the Obama administration. And so it is very much a byproduct of, of legislation. There is a reason why that we, we have seen these programs exist. And in addition to there being movements in politicians' office for this, there have also been some against them. And so I think this will be something we talk about it moving forward in the episode. But uh, this is why the episode is of so, so much importance. This is a intentionally placed system, and it's one that needs to be preserved and advocated for. So like I said, we have them in some pretty notable universities. I know that recently there was the first class of graduates, I believe, from this collaboration between Yale and, and, another new, and another university in New Haven. And reading some of these stories were incredible because what we're looking at is individuals being able to escape whatever, whatever circumstances were manufactured for them by the current system we live in. They were able to escape this, uh, this cycle that they were put in. And I, I think that's just what the central focus is anytime we talk about the impact of education. When you are able to get a degree, you are able to, you're simply just able to pursue more opportunities and you are able to get so much financial security out of that, that your quality of life is transformative. And so I think that's just like a basic fact that needs to be addressed when we talk about what the goal of these programs are. We're looking at economic security, which is essentially just a feeling of security in general for individuals. And what I also want to point out that I think is touching and a sign of a, another larger trend that comes in the conversation of education reform is that this has an impact on the individuals who surround the person who has been formerly incarcerated. The number of children affected by their parents' incarceration is significant. In the first decade of the 21st century, more than half of all people behind bars had minor children at the time of their incarceration. Most incarcerated parents had lived with their children prior to incarceration and expected to be reunited with them upon release. A college education has far-reaching capacity to set a good example for these children. There's a study of the Bedford Hills College Program that found that children of the women enrolled in the prison college program expressed pride in their mother's academic achievements and were inspired to take their own education more seriously and were more motivated to attend college themselves. This in itself shows that when we lead, we we set an example for those around us of what's possible. We see this across pretty much uh, every single higher education pathway that's out there, whether it's tech, whether it's law, whether it's medicine. When you are surrounded by individuals who have taken that path, you believe you are capable to do so as well. So programs like this set the tone for breaking generational barriers that may exist, encouraging children in certain circumstances to go and pursue an education, and encouraging communities to not let any scenario deter them from pursuing education and taking the opportunities that come out of that. This is part of a larger trend of refusing to allow circumstances to restrict dreams. That, that explains very well why this is such an important issue to me. I want to be able to create opportunities for people we also see that incarcerated people who were enrolled in college classes committed 75% fewer infractions than those who were not enrolled. It contributes to improved relations between staff members and the incarcerated, and it also enhances the prisoner's self-esteem, which we see, I think, in general, where for every individual who pursues an education, information, knowledge is power, right? We hear that quote a lot. That's not going to be any different, uh, any less true for individuals in different circumstances. And in, in addition to this being of, of incredible value for changing the lives of individuals, it is also a far better way to allocate the current resources that get put into our current prison system. Today, an estimated 2.3 million people are incarcerated in the United States. Taken together, states spend over $52 billion annually on corrections and correction and related activities. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, the average annual operating cost per incarcerated person in 2001 was almost 23 grand. 
The annual spending per student for a standard state university, such as the SUNY system in New York, is below 8000 So there's a significant cost difference between corrections and education spending. That is, that is such a drastic amount. It, that's, that's made very, very clear. However, approximately 6% of correction spending is being used to pay for all prison programming, not even exclusively educational programs, but all prison programming in general. 50 states analysis of post-secondary prison education also concludes that even if educational programs are expanded, their per prisoner cost is far less than the total cost of incarceration, which means that there is potential for growth and opportunity for individuals in the prison system. And there is also a potential for, for improvements in funding and the allocating of resources. It is more efficient to ensure that incarcerated individuals have an education. It is better for the system all around. I believe that there is a, the specific stat is that for every dollar spent on correctional education, $5 is saved in three-year reincarceration costs. And so I, again, like the data shows that the funding is there and that real allocation of it would actually be more efficient for the prison system in general. But then again, of course, for me, it's if the funding is there and the opportunity can be created, then that should be what we, we push for. However, gaining funding for these education programs can be challenging. There have been barriers such as the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act passed in 1994, which bans incarcerated students from receiving Pell aid. And the Pell grants are credible form of need-based federal financial aid, which allow many, many students to pay for college courses. Shutting this down, shut down hundreds of prison education programs across the country that heavily relied on this funding. And even today, we see lots of efforts being made to villainize any form of rehabilitation and any form of integration of formerly incarcerated individuals. And so what I'm hoping the takeaway is for this episode is to, one, show compassion to the experiences of other individuals. And two, I'm hoping to encourage people to look at the systems we see right now and understand why they exist that way. Understand a little bit more about recidivism and what causes it. Fight against the demonization of individuals whose circumstances are different than ours and and work towards supporting any effort any individual makes to pursue an education because that is truly the best opportunity for them to improve themselves whether it be their economic opportunities whether it be their social opportunities whether it be their own self-improvement education is the path to achieving all of that Um, and it's something we all have the right to and so I, I hope that this style this episode style this informative style is impactful I hope that you've learned something from it and I want to thank you for listening have a nice day Today's episode was hosted by Mahek Kondru and produced by Jarrett Ramones and Cody Stobig and was edited by Rachel Libanol. PolicyWise is a production of Youth Leadership Institute. If you want to find more great youth content, check out YLI.org and be sure to subscribe to PolicyWise on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. In big announcement time, this will be the final season of PolicyWise. It has been such a great ride. Thank you to all of our amazing guests. And of course, thank you to all of our listeners. To discuss this episode, engage with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PolicyWisePod and hashtag your discussions with hashtag PolicyWise. See you next time for more youth voice and policy discussion on PolicyWise. <laughs>